Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. to be wrapping up our series on the tabernacle tonight and we followed the course with uh the way the truth and life and uh trying to to tie them together in um this series showing us how it appears in the tabernacle we call it secrets in the sanctuary and tonight is our lesson number five and we're going to be doing the life amen we're going to be doing our title tonight is the life. Everybody say the life. The life. The life. Uh, we've been studying last week, we studied about the entrance into the tabernacle proper, uh, the truth. We talked about the, the entrance into there. <clears throat> we talked about the table of shoe bread and uh, also the candlestick. Uh, one thing I, uh, someone had mentioned about uh, that. Um, they did have how they burnt and how, how they used the candlestick. Uh, there are speculations where the whole thing was hollow and held oil, but they did have wicks that they had to be trimmed on a daily basis. And uh, when they would prepare the lamp each day to make sure it's burning right, they would trim their wicks, as it were. So I think it's very important that we keep ourselves trimmed, ready for the Holy Spirit to flow through us and produce light to produce light. Amen. Let's go to John chapter uh, 14 and verse 6. This has been, along with 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4, this has been our, uh, our theme uh, scriptures. John chapter 14 and verse 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, everybody say no man, no person, cometh unto the Father, but by me. Then on to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed, passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all did eat the same spiritual meat. And it all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Everything has such a beautiful picture. Do you know why God, God got so upset with Moses when he smote the rock, when God told him to speak to it? He smote the rock once, then he spoke to it the second time. And uh, God said, because you smote the rock the second time, you're not going into the promised land. So it was pretty serious, wasn't it? I'm sure that there's myriad of reasons, but one that comes to my mind is that God is so keen and precise about his types and shadows in Scripture is that Jesus Christ, the rock, was only going to be smote once. And because he misrepresented that dynamic, uh, ain't that right, Sister Whitney? You'll have to ask her about the story about uh, Moses misrepresented God and, and uh, premarital class and all that kind of stuff. You, you, you need to talk to her, but that, what a great story. But anyway, God's very particular about his types in Scripture. 
and that continuity. And I want to be very particular about making sure that we see him clearly in all that we do and say through the Old Testament and New Testament. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for those that have gathered here on Bible study night. Lord, those that have come and given of their time, Lord Jesus, to get into your word. I pray today that you would help me, Lord Jesus, to serve it, Lord Jesus, as you have shared with me. Help me, Lord, to use the gift, God, that you've blessed me with, but let it be anointed by you in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Lord bless you. <clears throat> we have gone by the, uh, the entrance into the outer court. The first thing we come in contact with once we go from the outside of the, of the, the tabernacle is the brazen altar. Remember that. What's the next thing? The laver. And then we come to the tabernacle proper as we studied last week and we enter into the tent itself that God had, had given them precise instruction on, on as you enter into the temple or as you enter into the tabernacle, on your right hand would be the table of showbread and on your left hand would be the candlestick, but in front of you directly would be the altar of incense. And we are still in the room that is called and known as the Holy of Holies. It's unique because it is four square in measurement and uh, But it is here that we find that God wants to meet with us on a unique basis as you progress closer to his presence. And so we're going to deal with the altar of incense. The word altar, when you mention that word, it is automatically coupled together with sacrifice. There are two altars in the tabernacle. The brazen altar out front a place of perpetual sacrifice. Death was everywhere. Blood was everywhere. It was a constant outpouring of blood and death and sacrifice, bringing about uh, 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 the, the cleansing or repentance as we see it in our typology. The second altar is this altar of incense that we have before us here and uh, just, a, just a depiction of that altar uh, this altar, this altar of incense was a place where the altar that was the brazen altar was a perpetual sacrifice. This altar represented perpetual prayer and praise. Perpetual prayer and praise. You'll find that the administration of the incense altar could not happen without the brazen altar. The two were connected by the blood atonement, according to Exodus 30 and 10. Both altars used the same fire. The fire that fell to consume the burnt sacrifice is the same fire that they used to burn the incense and the smoke would rise up into the presence of the Lord. So we find that worship and prayer is directly related and impacted by your repentance. My repentance. Repentance dictates worship. That's how you know whether something is just hype or true worship. Is that have we been to the brazen altar and had we had a, an encounter with God in true repentance? 
All right, let's look at the scriptures that begin to reveal to us the, the instructions about building the altar of incense. Uh, let's go to the next passage, Exodus 30, 1 through 2, uh, verse 1 through 2. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and the cubit the breadth thereof, four square shall it be. And two cubits shall be the height thereof, the horns thereof shall be of the same. Verse 3, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof, and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold around about. Verse 4 and 5 says, and two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it. Upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it. And they shall be for places for the staves to bear it. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps. Here's where you have, this is what they're doing here. They're, they're taking care of the, the wick and taking care of uh, the lamp. while they're, When they dress the lamps, they begin to burn incense, and he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at evening, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So on a normal day, morning and evening, this incense is rising from off of this altar. <clears throat> and then verse 9 says, Ye shall... Offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereon, and Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once a year with the blood of the skin offering of atonement once in the year shall he make atonement upon it uh, throughout your generation it is most holy unto the Lord now keep in mind when you begin to read this it it, it can sound like a, uh, like what, what what's going on here it's kind of over how does that how does that play a part of today's remember it is a spiritual representation what Moses was told to build he saw in heaven so whatever God has going on in heaven, he wanted going on in earth. In Israel's time, it was in a natural sense. When the church comes, it became a spiritual dynamic. Amen. So we begin to look at this altar. Let me share with you some names of the altar of incense throughout Scripture. Uh, there, it was known, of course, as the altar of incense, the incense altar, the altar of God, the golden altar, the golden altar which is before the throne, the whole altar that is by the oracle, the altar before the Lord, and the altar to burn incense, or the altar also of sweet incense before the Lord. And I've listed some scriptures there for you, and going to give you just a minute uh, if you're if you're taking notes and you want to write those down. It is the altar of incense. It is also known as the incense altar, the altar of God, the golden altar. The golden altar before the throne in the book of Revelations, that's, that's where we find that uh, statement about it. So that's, that's God is saying in heaven there is this same representation going on in heaven. All right, let's look at the construction of the altar as we read a while ago. Once again, 
It's made out of the same material as many vessels before. It is made with shatim wood or acacia wood overlaid with gold. How many remember what, what acacia wood or shatim wood is? It's, it's hard, knotty, stubborn, hard to work with, but it is, it is hardy. It's a hardy wood. And so they, they made the box. They made the box of the, of, the, of the altar here. And then they overlaid with gold. And it was one cubic square. One cubic square and two cubics high. Made out of shatim wood, which means consecrated humanity. Overlaid, overlaid with gold, which means deity and godliness. It was made four square. And it had a golden crown Upon, upon the top of it and four horns. Both the altar and the brazen altar was made four square. That means the length and the width were equal. Both altars had four horns. Similarly, as the altar out front. Not only were the altars designed to be four square, but the most holy place that we talked about, uh, 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 where the ark resided rather, was, was four square. Four square is symbolic of the entire complete gospel. It is the four gospel writers that give to us the complete look or the four square measurement, completeness, fullness. There doesn't need to be another gospel. I'm sorry, Joseph Smith, but there doesn't need to be another New Testament. Four square speaks of also the four corners of the globe. The gospel is to be preached into the, in, in the entire world. So what we're saying is what is gospel in Medora is gospel in Michigan. What is gospel in Michigan is gospel in Mogadishu. What is gospel in Panama is gospel in Pelehatchee, Mississippi. It's four square. And if somebody's preaching something here as doctrine or gospel, and it, it, and it doesn't fit in another part of the world, then it's preference, not gospel. And I'm not saying that preference or tradition or our customs, our cultural customs are, are to be done away with. I'm not. I'm, I'm just simply saying what is gospel needs to be said gospel. This is what the apostles preached. Amen. And we need to be aware of that. Let's, let's go to the next slide. Uh, talk about the significance of the altar. The significance of the altar. You will find that, that it has horns, four horns. The horns speak of the anointing and power and strength of the Lord. How many know there ought to be power in your prayer? There ought to be power in your praise. There ought to be power that when your incense of worship rises up, uh, amen, uh, it ought to be filled with anointing and power. Then it had crowns, a crown around the top of it, uh, along with the table of shewbread. And as we'll learn, the altar of, or, or the ark, uh, there was crown round about. The crown is symbolic of the kingship of our Lord and Savior. Part of the function of the crown was to keep the burning coals of incense from falling to the ground, just like the word on the table of shoe bread that keeps the word in place it is the anointed word of the king that keeps us in place when it comes to worship. So our worship doesn't go this way and it doesn't go that way, but our worship stays in right order. Your prayer 
My prayer needs to be in right order. My worship, your worship. My intercession, your intercession needs to be in the right order kept by the power of God. Let's, let's talk about the, the rings and the staves. Exodus 30 and 4 said that the two golden rings, somebody say two golden rings, which thou shalt make it under the crown of it by the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it, and they shall be for places for the staves to bear it. All right, if you go to the next slide, I think it's the one... Uh, yes, if you'll notice here that we, we've got the, the rings on, on the outside corners. As we begin to understand and study in the, this, this beautiful piece of furniture, the, the rings were put not on the, what we would think would be the natural idea is to put uh, four rings so you would have it where it would, it, would, it would work well, but it had rings on opposite sides of the corner. And then when they would put the staves through it, this altar of incense. Now the Bible says that it is to be burning perpetually. There is nothing that I could find that ever talks about them covering up or ever in transportation covering up, but that it is perpetually. Whenever they moved, they're moving it with the incense rising. So you can imagine if you've got... got, got Got corners here with with a, a ring and and over here a ring and one and one one place for the staves to go through. What would happen to that box? It would it would move like this. It would move like this. So it was almost like a a living sensor that as they moved and as they went, uh, that incense would be shaken. Hmm. Most commentators agree that, that placing these on the opposite corners would give it an ability to freely swing. Henry, uh, Henry W. Uh, Salta, in his book, The Holy Vessels and Furniture of the Tabernacle, made this observation. He said, there is no provision made in Numbers 4 where the directions uh, 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 respecting the march occur for moving <clears throat> the coals of the incense off of the golden altar when it was carried. The fire and perfume were supposed to remain burning on it even though the march... The golden crown would therefore hold the important office, preventing any displacement of these holy things when the altar was borne on the shoulders of the priest. Now get this. The rougher the terrain, the more it would shake. The rougher the movement, the more that it would shake. If that represents our prayer and that represents our praise, amen, the Bible says that we're to pray always. We're to pray continually. We're to pray all day long, amen. That means that no matter what you face, that incense ought to be rising. A lot of folks wouldn't lose their temper if they were carrying their altar every day, all day. A lot of folks wouldn't lose their mind if they would just simply see in their heart, I'm carrying worship and prayer and praise with me all day. The rougher your life gets, the greater your smoke ought to rise. 
the tougher that things get, the greater my worship. Some people, when they get tough and life gets hard, they go back on their prayer. They back down on their praise. They withdraw from their worship. According to what we find in the typology of this particular piece of furniture is that we ought to let it rise even more. <clears throat> Let's look at Ephesians 6 and 18. Paul put it like this. Praying always. Praying always. Oh, praying always. I wish I had a better prayer life. I want to tell you what, every one of us could pray always if we would just put it in our mind. Lord, I want to think on you today. Lord, I'm going to think upon you today. I know I got to get this done, but I can keep you uh, keep a conversation with the Lord going on my head. If, if folks can keep looking at their phone every six seconds uh, and if folks could carry on a conversation with this person and that person while they're doing work, then surely I could carry on a conversation with the Lord and let my smoke rise. Let my prayer rise. Paul said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Look at the next verse in Malachi chapter 1 and 11. We've quoted from this particular statement. From the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. My name, the Lord said, shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place. And in every place, and in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name. Hallelujah. Every place we ought to be able to praise the Lord. In every situation that comes our way, we ought to be able to praise the Lord. It is significant to also know the location of the altar. The location of the altar. We find that Exodus 30 and 6 talks about the location of the altar. It is significant that once we have passed the table of shoe bread, remember that, that speaks about uh, repentance and re relationship. The candlestick speaks about revelation. Amen. We find that there must be revelation and relationship and there must be spiritual revelation coming in. But when we get to incense, it's communication. Communicating with God. Praying with God. Praying with God. Amen. Somewhere around there, I don't know if somebody got it and put it in the back, but I have copies of, of, of a thing that where you can pray through the tabernacle. If you'd like to have a copy on your way out, be sure to get that. Praying is communicating with God. Hallelujah. In Exodus 30 and 6 it says, And thou shalt put it before the veil, that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, that is over the testimony, where I shall meet with thee. Again, if you'll look here, you will find that, the, that this particular uh, box this altar of incense stood before the veil. The next thing on the other side of the veil is the Ark of the Covenant, the throne room of God, the presence of God. What does that teach me? I can't get into his presence if I don't pray. I can't get into his presence if I don't worship. I can't get into his presence if I don't praise him. If my incense don't rise. So it's situated before the veil and before the mercy seat. Look at the next verse, Exodus 30 and verse 7. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at evening, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord. There is a connection 
Uh, Sister Hannah, if you don't mind, go back to that slide just right before us, please. There is a connection between the lamp and the altar of incense. There's got to be a, a spirit connected in our worship. It's got to be an illumination in our worship. Oh, how many of you, you, you experienced things that you've been in the presence of God and it certainly illuminated your incense, your prayer. You pray in the Holy Ghost. You sing in the Holy Ghost. You shout in the Holy Ghost. You worship in the Spirit of God. Amen. That's what it's about is getting a connection. That's why we, we come early to church and we pray and we make sure that before we come into the house, before we stand before this altar of incense and worship in a corporate sense, We've made sure that we've been illuminated by the power of God. The fragrance of the incense was to be renewed every morning and every evening. A sweet aroma of incense accompanied then every service of the priest. You can go back to the next slide, please. When you look at the incense that rose from this, the Bible says that it was to be a perpetual all day, all night. Mm. Hallelujah. I don't care what you're going through. You can, you can have a perpetual, a perpetual prayer, a perpetual praise. Let's talk about the significance of the incense, please. From Exodus 30 and 34. The Bible says that the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacti, and anica, and gabellum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a like weight. And thou shalt make a perfume, a confection after the art of apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. The word apothecary is where we get the word pharmacist. Like mixing together, a pharmacist would mix together these ingredients. This is what the, the, the uh, incense was made of. The significance then, look at, at verse 36. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee and it shall be unto you most holy. I want to tell you, your prayer ought to be considered sacred. Your worship ought to be considered sacred. Your intercession ought to be considered sacred. Hallelujah, praising God and lifting your hands ought to be more than this. Unless you've got some kind of Arthur or Burr, Sidus. My dad used to say that a flag that's flying at half-mast means something is dead. That's just a pet peeve I learned from my father. Blame him. <clears throat> look, at, look at the next uh, uh, statement that it says, would go to slide 22 there, the significance of the incense. Look at verse 37. And as for the perfume, thou shalt make it. Ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy. He's saying, don't make this on your own for your house. This is holy for the Lord. I don't care what Hollywood does. They could try their best to mimic a church service. Have you ever watched a, a show or a movie that they're trying to do a church service? And you think, 
I don't recognize that. What is it? There are some places that what is most holy doesn't belong. It just doesn't belong. Hallelujah. So he said, make it most holy. Whosoever shalt thou shall make it like unto that to smell thereof shall be even cut off from his people. Let's look at the five basic ingredients that was mentioned in Scripture for these for the making of the instance. Stacti was a, a fragrant sap from a tree. We find that it means to ooze or to distill gradually. It figuratively speaks of inspiration. Inspiration. God said, I want some inspiration in my worship. It is from the root which means to prophesy or to preach. Your praise is prophetic if you'll speak it out. It is inspired, prophetic. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for what's going to happen tomorrow. God, you're going to bless. You're going to send revival. I praise you, Lord, for it. I'm pray- your prayer is a prophecy of your future if you'll let it be. Your prayer is a prophecy of your future if you'll let it be. Stacti. Number two is Annika, which is made from the selfish in the Red Sea, in the Mediterranean Sea. It receives its fragrance from the things upon what it feeds. It had to be crushed fine before it could be mixed with incense. Hallelujah. We find that there are certain things in your life that God's going to crush you to create greater prayer, to create greater worship, to create greater intercession. He's going to crush and he's going to mash. What is he making? He's making perfume. So when you come through it, you got your smoke rising. Hallelujah. Devil, you thought you had me, but really God was making some incense out of me. Mm. Golbellium is a tree-like sap, a bitter gum used to drive away insects. It had to lose its identity by being crushed fine as some of the other spices. The root of this word means the richest part. The richest part. The richest part of our life ought to be prayer. The richest part of our life ought to be our worship, our incense. Frankincense is another tree sap that is white in color, transparent, pugnant resin, which when burned, it is fragrant. And then they find that they also tempered together with salt. Salt speaks of preservative, lasting quality, purifying, giving it some taste. And it was made after the art of apothecary. Let me just tell you that sometimes you've got to mix your worship with a little bit of this and a little bit of that. A little pressing of this and a pressing of that. A little bit of problem that you went through last month and a victory that you've got today. Your best part and giving God like the woman that anointed the feet of Jesus with the spike nart uh, that was so expensive and extravagant. What is it? It's my life. Your worship may not look like somebody else's. You may not be as somebody else in your worship, but if you let God build the incense in your life, then you'll begin to find that your aroma is a sweet smell and savor unto the Lord. I didn't put this, I don't think I did. I'm not sure if I put it on your outline. But there are five corresponding elements of prayer. Five corresponding elements of prayer. Five different spices. Five corresponding elements of prayer in scripture. Adoration. 
supplication, consecration, intercession, and thanksgiving. I'll say them again. Adoration, supplication, that's request, petitions, supplication, consecration, which is repentance, getting right with God, getting in tune with the Lord, intercession, intercession, which is uh, standing in the gap for others, and thanksgiving. Hallelujah, Lord, I thank you. Somebody say, Lord, I thank you. Hallelujah. The psalmist put it like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Every part of me, bless his holy name. Every part of me, let my incense rise. Hallelujah. 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 He said in another place, the psalmist did, I will yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. Here's something you got to know is that there is some healing that will come in your incense worship. There is healing. I've seen it. I've watched people get healed during the worship service. I've watched people get delivered in the worship service, receive the Holy Ghost in the worship service. Nobody lay a hand on them. But as they begin to worship God, the spirit fall upon that smoke. Praise God. Consider with me the smoke of your prayers. Psalm 141 and verse 1. The smoke. Somebody say the smoke of my prayers. Psalm is a psalm of David. Lord, I cry unto thee. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice. When I cry unto thee, let my prayer be set forth before thee as Incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Hallelujah. I'm going to look around the next few services and I'm going to watch if anybody's fanning their incense. Let it rise. Matter of fact, there is a word, the, the, the evangelist alluded to the words of worship in one of his messages, but there is a word, I believe it is, I believe it is yada, I'll verify that, but I believe it is that, that one of them, toda, the hands is one way, I think yada is the hand outward, toda is the hand inward, uh, but they, they, they said that when the Hebrew would worship with one of these words, it was like he was scooping his praise to God, just sending it to the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to stir up my praise. How about you? Stir it up. Don't feel like it. I'm going to praise him anyway. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Again, this altar speaks of prayer and worship and intercession. The devil can smell incense on a praying person. Do you smell like the world or do you smell like incense? Do I smell like the world or do I smell like incense? You want to change your atmosphere? Burn a little incense. I'm not talking about naturally. I'm talking about spiritually. You want to change your atmosphere? Change by letting the smoke of your prayer rise. In the New Testament, Revelation chapter 8 and verse 4, the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints. Let it rise. 
Let your smoke rise. Hallelujah. In Revelation, it also speaks about golden vials full of odors, which is the prayer of the saints. So in this, this particular, uh, I want to stop here and talk about this for a moment because this depicts a little bit of the smoke rising. This is an inst- a censer that the priest would have in his hand. And he carried that uh, for sure on the day of atonement when he would go beyond the veil. He would take that incense with him. So as he entered into the day of the home once a year, as he come into the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant, he brought the blood and he brought the incense. And if you look at the horns that are on, you might see it better on your paper, but the four corners on the day of atonement, if you remember our text, he would put the blood on the four corners of the four horns of the altar. Let me just tell you today that there's got to be some blood in your praise and in your prayer. That means that I'm connected to the atoning power of God in my worship. Don't just worship because I feel good, but because of what he did in me. There's so much in this, so much. Let's look at our second part, and that's going to be the veil. If you stand right here, and I didn't put it just for the, the sake of so you could be able to see, and this is, this is my depiction of what the veil looks like. There's a gazillion of them out there. But, but simply, the altar of incense would stand before this veil. And on the other side of this veil would be the Ark of the Covenant. There are two entrances related to the sanctuary that have curtains. And that is the door that we talked about being the truth that led into the holy place and the veil that stood before the Ark of the Covenant. A veil is a divider. It's a curtain. It stood as a constant reminder that something awesome was just beyond that. Something powerful was just beyond that. Whether it would have been the doorway into the tabernacle or this veil before the Holy of Holies. Amen. Look at Exodus chapter 26 and verse 31 and 32. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work with cherubims shall it be. And if you'll look on here, we have depicted some cherubims in those colors. And thou shalt hang it upon the four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold, and their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. No more brass. The only brass that you see coming into the tabernacle is on the columns or on the pillars as you walk into the tabernacle entranceway. From that point on, everything is gold and silver. And then all the tapestries and embroidery of beautiful cunning work. And verse 32 is, shall hang upon four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Look at verse 33. And thou shalt hang upon the veil, uh, hang up the veil under the, the tachets. Thou shalt... Uh, thou mayest bring it in thither within the veil, the ark of the testimony. The veil shall divide you between the holy place and the most holy place. Let me quickly, let's, let's talk just for a minute about the day of atonement that that high priest would stand before this veil at the altar of incense once a year. 
An appointed time, the high priest was to officiate over the operation of atonement. That was the most sacred day of Israel's worship. Can I just stop and tell you something that blows my mind? We'll just throw this out here, and sometime I'm going to preach about it. I'm going to study a little bit more about this. But you remember while Moses was up on the top of the mountain getting the tabernacle plan? What was Aaron doing in the valley? Anybody remember? Building a golden calf. Messing up bad. Horribly. Leading God's people down a road that cost many people their lives. And that's why when Moses come down, he broke the tablets of stone and he had to turn around and go back up onto the mountain. You know something that blows my mind is that while God had Moses on the mountain giving him Aaron's high priest garments, Aaron is in the valley creating a bunch of mess. Knowing God, knowing that in a little while he was going to have to be the one that would be the one that would do the atonement. But the thing that made the difference between it, I want to preach, I really do. I I, want to just get with it. But but the, the thing that made the difference between that horrible event and him stepping up on the day of atonement was the anointing, was consecration, was getting right with God. Amen. He would have never been able to make atonement, but God still had enough love and understanding to say, I'm making a garment for you. Okay. I better quit. Mm. Look at Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 12. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times unto the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and for a ram burnt offering. Old rabbinical traditions informs us that everything on that day was done by the high priest. He was responsible for the lighting of the lamps, for the carrying of the fires, the handling of the incense. Officiating duties were acquired of him. When you come into the glory of God, the further you come into the glory of God, you can't ride mama's coattail. You can't ride daddy's coattail. You can't get there because you had a grandmama that was a praying grandmama. You can't get there because your church has got a heritage. It's something you have to do yourself. If you want to get into the presence of the Lord in the deepest of sense, you might do some things around and, 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 and that's wonderful and good. But those that will go forward into the presence of the Lord has got to do it them. Self. They've got to be willing to consecrate themselves. Look at Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 4. And he shall put on the holy linen coat, and, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with the linen girdle, and with the linen uh, miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put 
them on. Before he could enter into the Holy of Holies, the place of divine anointing, glory, and favor, the place of meeting that we learn about in Scripture, he must be willing to lay aside all titles. He had to lay aside his high priest garments. He had to lay aside his identity, and he took upon humility. He took upon submission. On other days, he would have worn the high priest's robe, but this one, he wore the white linen, which means I've got to examine myself before I go into the presence of the Lord. How many know that our high priest, our high priest took upon the form of a servant? He lay aside his priestly garments, if you please. Amen. He lay aside them for a time to come and live on this earth, and then now he is our mediator. He is our high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Leviticus 16 and 6, and Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. Before you go back, Aaron, you make atonement for yourself and for your house. Great care was taken that day. Five times during the day, he changed clothing. Five times, he followed the same cleansing, washing pattern, cleansing himself. Each time, he washed his hands and feet, removed his garments, totally submerged himself and his body in water, changed his clothes, washed his hands and feet again. All of this was so particular. Why? Because you're coming into the presence of the Lord. Let's not just make it cheap. That's why sometimes I think there are people that have problems with, well, I'm going to just go casual to the house of God. It's one thing to go casual. It's another thing to go insincere. Somebody that comes in the house of the Lord insincere, they don't care about their parents. They never, you know, take a shower. Well, I'm going to church. I don't care if I stink. I'll come any way. But when you're coming into the house of the Lord, there ought to be some care that is taken. I'm going to look in the mirror. I want to make sure, Lord, I come before you. I'm not trying to look pretty for, for Sally. I'm not trying to look handsome for Sam or Billy Bob or anything like that. Lord, I want to come in your presence because it matters how you come into his presence. It matters whether it is Tuesday night where we may dress a little bit more casual or Sunday or Sunday night when we do not. It is highly possible that the high priest on this day sacrificed around 15 different animals all by himself. If we're going to operate into the glory of the Lord, then we must be willing to come to the end of flesh to the end of flesh. If we're going to go into his presence, we must be willing at times to sacrifice in prayer and fasting and prayer and fasting. That's what the the veil can typically speak of. Even Jesus, when he looked at his mother hanging on the cross, he said to his mother, Mom, go home. What is he saying? He said, this is a thing that I got I, I to gotta remove myself from the natural and the flesh. I, 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 Mom, go home. I, I, I've got to take care of things here that, that, that I need to distance myself from my flesh. All right. 
on that day of atonement, it is said that he's standing before this. He's got, the high priest has got the censer in his hand and he's got the blood in his hand. How does he get behind that, that, that veil that's hanging from top to bottom, side to side? Back his way in. You know what? There's nothing in the Bible that I know of that tells exactly how he does it. There's all kind of tradition out there about what, what goes on. You know, he's, he's, got, he's got his uh, rope on his foot in case he dies. They can drag him out. I'll tell you what I think about that in a minute. But there is a lot of Hebrew customs that, uh, I don't want to get drunk on Hebrew customs that don't have a biblical uh, backing. But there are a lot of rabbis that teach that as he stood in front of that veil, he was transported beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies. He would have had no need for a rope on his foot because he could never got back there to begin with. Just my thought. Hallelujah. Hmm. Praise God. How about Christmas trees? I just wondered if I should go down another tradition road. We'll preach on that sometime. Let's go to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. There were different arcs in Scripture. Everybody remember Noah's Ark? Noah's Ark was a box pitched within and without, wasn't it? The Lord told him, said, make it a gopher wood, pitch within, without. The Ark was designed for the preservation of humanity, animals, and a family. Noah, a father, submitted to the voice of God and obeyed and built an Ark to the saving of his house. So we have... Noah's ark is a preservation ark. Then we have Moses' ark that his mother built for her son to save Moses, laid him in the Nile, and designed that the strength of the ark would be the saving of his little of her little baby. The baby had to trust in the power of an ark that <clears throat> crocodiles and uh, predators were all around, that he would still survive in the safety of the ark. It doesn't matter what you go through if you know what kind of ark you're connected with. I am connected and you are connected with the ark of God. God told Moses to make the ark after the pattern of the tabernacle and God had revealed to him the very first piece of furniture was the ark. Amen. That we have before us, uh, just in a, in a rendering that I put together, we find that the construction of the ark was, and I'm going to go quickly through these we find that in Exodus 25 and 10, that is made of shatim wood. It was two cubits and a half is the length and a cubit and a half the breadth and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without. Shall be overlaid it and shalt make it upon the crown of gold round about. Then it had four rings. In the next verse it says it had four rings put on the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be to the one side of it and two rings to the other side of it and thou shalt make staves of shatim wood overlay them with gold and then verse 14 and thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the side of the ark 
that the ark may be born with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken out. Unlike other pieces of furniture, you don't take the staves out of this particular thing. In verse 16, And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee, and thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubic and a half the breadth thereof. Amen. I, uh, Sister Hannah, can you jump down to, to, to slide number 39? Praise God. This is what the Lord said. He said, and I will meet with thee, talking about this ark, I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. How many of you have ever seen Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. I'll just let that roll for a minute. But God's ark, the Hebrew word here translated for ark means chest. It was also translated once coffin. The root word means to gather together to harvest. The ark is the place where God longs to gather his people to himself. This is the place of meeting. This is the place of meeting. It is the centerpiece of the tabernacle. It is the masterpiece of God's uh, uh, purpose. You'll find it represented his power and his presence. Uh, amen. You will, you will find on, uh, Sister Hannah, could, I'm, I'm sorry to throwing you back and forth, but thank you so very much. Give me a big picture of the ark, please. There you go. A lot of depictions of the ark that I find would, will have faces on the cherubims or the angel. But most people will, will say that, that the Hebrews never would have put a face on that because they didn't want anything that depicted it an image. This is not what they worshipped. They did not worship the ark. They worshipped what the ark represented. And they worshipped the fact that the Lord said, I'll meet with you right here. I'll meet with you right there. It's the presence of God. This is simply the place that brought about his truth, that brought about who he was, and we understood his presence. It is the centerpiece of God's presence. Let's go to slide 40 now, if you don't mind. Talk about the meeting place. Again, the Lord said, I'll commune with you. I'll meet with you. I'll commune with you. For above the mercy seat and between the two cherubims, I'll meet means a fixed appointment, an appointed time, a, a time that we join forces with, as the word meet means. Commune means to, to speak or to declare or to command or to promise. The Lord is saying, I have a meeting place with you. I've got a place that I want to meet with you. It's in my presence. Everything that you've done from the the brazen altar to the laver to the wood or to, or, or to the word to the bread to the light to the worship everything goes to this place and that's to get in the presence of the Lord oh to be in his presence to be touched by his power if you look at this box I'll get to that in a minute let's talk about the things that are preserved in the ark the things that are preserved in the ark. The Lord said, I want you to put three things 
inside this ark. The thing that looks like a lid detached was a lid. That is known as the mercy seat. This is known as the ark or the box. Okay? This is the mercy seat. This is the ark or the box. The rings with the staves. Don't ever take them out. Inside of the ark, he put the law, the manna, and Aaron's rod that bloomed, blossomed, and brought forth almonds. A dead stick that he caused to bloom, blossom, and bring forth almonds. When you look at these three things in the ark, he put his law inside of this box full of gold. Speaking of his deity, he put it inside of there, the commandments. Because if he put his law in their face, he would have to kill them. Remember the story of the Bible about them opening the box and all of them died? Now do you remember Indiana Jones? They opened the box and they all died. Why? Why is it? Well, God said, number one, you're not supposed to open it up. Secondly, if you open up, God has to enact his law. But he kept his law behind mercy. He put his law behind mercy so that if, the, if I have atonement and the blood has been sprinkled on the mercy seat and I have his mercy and I have his deity, you know, this ark represents Christ because it was shatim overlaid with gold within and without. You couldn't tell where a, a, a deity in and humanity begin. We find that it is symbolic of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, this mercy seat is, is, is literally given to the name of the Lord as being our propitiation of our sins. And we'll get to it in a minute. But it is Jesus Christ. He put his law in Jesus Christ so that those that are in Christ could, could fulfill the intent of the law. He never destroyed the law, but rather he put it in Christ so that you and I, who walk not by the flesh but by the spirit, Spirit can fulfill the intent of the law. It's not about the letter. It's about being in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, you get the law. But it's sealed by grace. It's covered by grace. And the next thing you will find in this box was the bowl of manna. Manna speaks of the provision of the Lord. How many of the Lord is the blesser? He's the blesser. He provides. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And it's a reminder that my blessings are in Christ. Paul put it like this. The promises of God are in him, yea, and amen. The promises of God are in him, yea, and amen. So the law is in him, but not only the law is in Christ, but my blessings are in Christ. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. That's why we worship in Jesus' name. That's why we baptize in Jesus' name. Everything that I get, I get because I'm in him. If I am in Jesus Christ, I have the law fulfilled in him and through him. And if I am in Jesus Christ, then I have the blessings and the promises and the provisions of God. Then we find it's Aaron's rod that budded. This speaks of anointed ministry. 
miracles, signs, wonders. The same thing that hides the law hides the signs. He keeps it in him. It's hidden in him. It's in Christ. All right, let's go to the slide 42, please. The mobile ark. Everybody say the mobile ark. Unlike the other vessels, the staves of the ark were to stay in. Don't take them out. This speaks of progressive revelation. The ark was designed to move with its four golden rings, its two staves, overlay with gold. The difference of the staves. In other places of the furniture, the staves could be removed. But the ark, he says, thou shalt not take, from, take it from it. The ark was designed for quick movement. The staves simply provided quick mobility, progressive advancement. If the ark moved, Israel moved. The ark was to accompany them to the battle, to conflict, and just traveling. The Levites were commissioned to be the transport of the ark on their shoulders, Deuteronomy 31 and 9. So the progressive move of God has got to be ever in our mind that we shouldn't just put a, 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 a take the stake out and put, put, a, put a, you know, robot. well, this is the way God is, this is how God is, and this is where God moved. And God has just got up and moved over here. While we're still over here, How many of us have learned some things about the move of God over the years? Haven't we? And just, Brother Gene, when I feel like I've got it all figured out, here he goes again. Follow the leading of the Lord. Follow him where he goes. Can I tell you, he'll never contradict his word. He'll never contradict the other things going on in his tabernacle. They're all cohesive and working together. Let's quickly talk about the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And again, we have, have removed the lid off of this. We have removed the lid off of this. How many remember messages I preach about the heaviness, how, how heavy the ark weighed? The weight of that ark was somewhere in excess with all of this being a solid piece of gold, this box overlaid with gold and a solid piece of gold on top. Uh, uh, the best that I have ever been able to come with is that it weighed over 4,000 pounds. Do the math by the ounce. Tell me how much it's worth. But the mercy seat, that lid, that solid piece of gold, we would find, we find in, in, in the book of Romans chapter 3. I want to read a passage of scripture, Romans chapter 3, where he says, being justified freely by his grace, speaking of Christ, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That's an interesting word we don't often hear in our English vocabulary today. But a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. What is he saying? He is saying that Jesus Christ, as the word propitiation means, Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. Do you remember? Go back, go back one more, please. Sister Hannah, I appreciate you doing a great job. Remember, we talked about what was in what, what was in the box. Anybody remember? 
the law, the manna, and Aaron's rod. Do you know why some people have to have so much heavy law preaching? Because they're not in the box. They haven't been covered by mercy and grace. They haven't been covered. They're not in the box. So you got to tell them, don't go here, don't go there, don't wear that, don't look at this, don't, don't, don't go these kind of places, and it's got to be hammered and hammered. Let me just tell you, if you've been in church for any length of time, you shouldn't need any more law preaching. You ought to be understanding that you don't do that. You don't go there just because you're now in the box. And because the, I have, have, I'm in Christ, I have the understanding that I want to live right. I want to do right. Why? Because he's covered me with propitiation. He's covered me with his grace by his blood. Woo! Praise be to God. If you look with the two cherubims facing each other with their wings touching, it's symbolic in so many different ways that we see Christ our pituation being guarded by these cherubims throughout Scripture. In the garden, we find the cherubims guarding the tree of life, two of them. Garden the tree of life. When God visited Abraham, there were three men. One was likened unto the Son of God. The others were the cherubims, garden perpetuation, in a typology. Okay? We find that Satan tried to pervert propitiation by hanging two thieves on either side of him. But what he didn't realize is that the two that was waiting were in the tomb. When the angels said, he's not here, he's risen. The pituation is complete. He's risen. Then it is two men in white apparel that said, you men, why stand ye here gazing steadfastly toward heaven? Amen. This same Jesus, which you've seen going to heaven, is coming back again. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, to know the place of his glory. Oh, to know the place where he says, I'll meet with you. I'll commune with you. I'll be with you. Oh, to have revival in our soul. Hallelujah. God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. A growing relationship with God requires a sanctuary. Not just a sanctuary, but a sanctuary after the pattern that he had prescribed for Moses with the Advancement through repentance and cleansing and his word and his spirit and worship. Amen. Before his presence. I want to be in his presence. I want to be in his presence. At some point in time, we need to say, I've been through the labor. I've been through the brazen altar. I've been past all of the other parts of the holy place. Now I want to see him. I want to be in his throne room. I want to be in that place. I want to be in that place. Here's the thing now that Jesus has done, in reality has done, that he said in his word. We know that when he hung on the cross, what happened to the veil and temple as he was hanging there? Anybody remember? It was ripped. Interestingly, it was rent from top to bottom. It's as if God reached over there and went. Can you imagine 
the priest standing in front of the altar of incense because the Bible speaks about that he was crucified about 9 a.m. Around the, around the morning oblation and he dies around 3 p.m. which is the evening oblation. And so here is a priest standing in front of that and he gets the shock of his life. But God made a way because he had become our propitiation. We don't run now to avail literally. But we can because he provided a way that the Bible says and the writer of Hebrews says, therefore come, come boldly into his throne room. Hallelujah. Can you lift your voice and praise to the Lord here today? Hallelujah. I praise you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Amen. I, I pray that this series has been a blessing to you and we've scratched the surface. We have not even got into the, the offerings and what the sacrifices mean and the festivals and the feast days. Blow your mind, the priest garments and all these other cool things that God has hidden truth. And again, I'm not preaching to you uh, doctrine, but rather shadows that lead us to the doctrine that we better can see the cohesiveness of truth. The cohesiveness of God's plan. Amen? All right. Quickly, last slide, please, Sister Hannah. Would you, somebody give Sister Hannah a great big hand? She's done great. I've bounced back and forth. Thank you. All right. This is the overview, right, of the tabernacle. Somebody tell me what this, what, this is right here. The way. It's the entrance into the. Woo! That's right. All right. And when you come through the entrance, what's the first piece of furniture that you meet? The brazen altar. What happens at the brazen altar? Sacrifice. What does the brazen altar represent for you and me? Repentance. Yes, indeed. So after we go by the brazen altar, the next thing we come to is the, the labor. Awesome. Labor speaks of baptism. Also speaks of, somebody said it, cleansing, cleansing, continual cleansing. We get baptized once because we get born once. But we go back. Just because a baby's born doesn't a baby doesn't need a baby doesn't never have to take a bath. Babies are cute and they smell good because they take they get baths. I'm preaching right now. So we go to the labor, then we come into what does this this box represent? The holy place, the tabernacle tent. This is the the truth, we, we signify it as a truth, and we come inside. What is the first thing on your right up there at the top? Table of showbread. What is on the left? The golden candlestick. Somebody tell me what the table of showbread represents for you and me. There's many things, I'm sure, but... What, 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 what do you remember? 
Shout it out. The word, the bread of life. Remember, it speaks of communion, communion, relationship. We commune with him through the word. We interact through the word. We know him because of the word. What does the candlestick speak to us of? Revelation? Illumination? Anybody else? The baptism of the Holy Ghost. Great. Then we have tonight, we talked about the altar of incense. What does that represent to you and to me? Our prayer, our worship, and our intercession. Let the smoke rise. Then we come to the veil, which is, and I didn't go into this, but to us it speaks of the end of flesh. The end of flesh. You got to have that out of the way before you go into the next room which is known as, what's the last room known as? The Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Amen. What does the Ark represent? So many things, but what does it represent to you? Pardon? Sorry, I couldn't hear you. Presence of God. Anybody else? What does it represent? Mercy. Anybody else? What, what? Life. Life. So we understand that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Many people use this. I don't have a picture to de- depict it, but a lot of people will take a, 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 a line and draw a line here and a line there and have the cross, which shows Christ in, in the cross, there, there are so many things that people can use as types and shadow. But if it doesn't lead you to the truth, it's not a good type. It's got to lead you to the truth or otherwise you're like Moses striking the rock, rock twice and getting in trouble. It's very important. Very important. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for the tabernacle. Thank you, Lord, for the tabernacle. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Saturday.